We'll be in Genesis. You can have a seat. Eventually, in a lot of places in Genesis, but beginning Genesis 5, you can turn there. While you turn there, let me ask you this question. What are some things that we like to hear or like to say? I love you. It's a great one right there. Good job. Thank you. You're hired, right? You're pregnant. Normally really good news. When I heard that at 42, I was like, wow, that makes me 60 when he's 18. Huh, that's fascinating. That's not the script I had thought about when I was 20, but hey, there you have it. Uh, Super happy about him. Usually really good news. At your wedding, what do you want to hear? I do, right? Oh, good. I was a little concerned. You were a little late. I was wondering. (laughs) And you, oh, good. What's the greatest thing you can ever say? I told you so, (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm just being honest. I'm not going to be spiritual here. I told you so. Throughout history, there have been a number of people that have been able to say, I told you so. So one of them is a guy named Jon Snow. He lived 200 plus years ago in London. There was this massive cholera outbreak. Thousands of people were dying from it. He began to interview these families, like, where were you at? What were you doing? And he tracked it all back to a well that was right next to a cesspool. And human feces was now getting into the well and people were drinking it. And he thought, man, that doesn't seem like a good idea. So he took off the pump handle. Well, people all of a sudden started getting better. But then the people that are getting better are like, we want our water back. So the city council says, that's so stupid to think human feces is a problem in water. Put the handle back on. And so they did, and thousands more people died. And eventually it was realized, it's a really bad idea to have human feces in your drinking water. Seems obvious to us today. 200 plus years ago, it wasn't. Like, aren't you glad to live in 2017? Like, imagine that. Like, it has no problem, man. Just get some good water right there. So he was able to say in his life, I told you so. A guy named Edward Jenner. He's a guy that said, listen, if you take the cow pus from this little pustule when it has this disease and you poke it into a person, they are immune to a whole bunch of diseases. And people said, you're crazy, that's gross. Now, 150 years later, what do we say? That's crazy. You're getting them all kinds of diseases from vaccines, right? The anti-vaxxers. But he was able in his life say, I told you so, because people then, his family stopped getting sick. Like, look, my kids are not sick. Think about it. You might try this. How about Alexander Graham Bell? What did he do? Invented the telephone, patented it, did all this stuff. And then if you know his story, nobody would buy it. So he started to shop it around to people. He went to the Royal Society in England, because he couldn't find a buyer here, and he offered it to them because they ran the post office. And he said, look, you can get the messages much faster because they had these boys that would actually run messages all over London. And they're like, nah, we got plenty of little boys to do that. Comes back here, talks to Western Union, the telegraph company, offers them the phone. Listen Listen to what Western Union said over 100 years ago to Alexander Graham Bell. They said this, why would anyone want to talk on the phone when they can send a text? <laughs> How brilliant is that? Who gets to say, I told you so there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, 
That's so awesome. I think Noah, you could add him to that list. He's one that would be able to say to a bunch of people as he built the ark that were mocking him and laughing at him. He was able to say as he's preaching, the Bible tells us, wake up, a storm is coming. He was able to say 100 years after that, well, I told you so. I told you so. When I see people like that, that against a bunch of adversity, mocking, jeering, that against all that, they persevere and they're proved right. In me, there's this part that says, what is it in these people that allowed them to persevere and do that? What is it? Because I wanna be part of that. I wanna change history. Those four guys, they've changed history. We're here because of Noah, right? A lot of people are healthy because of Edward Jirer and Jon Snow. And you have your iPhone in your pocket because of Bell, like history changers. So what is it in them that allows them to persevere and do these great things? Well, I think with Noah, we get some divine clues. It's not foolproof. It's not a formula, but it's wisdom. And I think if you learn from this wisdom, it can help you change your own personal history because sometimes our own history is messed up. Maybe it'll change your family history because sometimes there's generational problems in families. And maybe it'll even help us change Grant's path because that's my hope, all right? So I just have three, I had like 12. I had to narrow it down to three things, the most important ones that you see in Noah that helps him blast into history and change it. Number one, notice his launch. It's chapter five, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and I thought 42 was old, and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that Yahweh has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Number one, you see Noah's launch. This one is absolutely out of his control. It's because he has this dad who I think is a great parent named Lamech that does something, prophesies into Noah's life. And here's what I found as a parent, that the daily grind, the hourly grind, the weekly grind, the monthly grind, whatever it is, it just begins to wear you down, right? Soccer, school, church, soccer, friends, soccer, church, soccer, soccer and soccer, right? It just begins to wear you down and, and just starts to just, and pretty soon you're just kind of in this tide where you're being swept along by just all this stuff that you forget like these great goals you had when your kids were young. Like, this is what I want to do with my kids. And you're just kind of, it, 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 it just overwhelms you. And you forget like, what, what am I actually trying to accomplish with my kids right now? And you start to settle. Like, I think the American parent would be happy if number one, their kid's room was clean. Number two, their, hey man. <laughs> they didn't hog all the Wi-Fi. And number three, they were nice to you. Like if, that's an American win right there as a parent. Ah, man, a clean room, a little bit of Wi-Fi, and my kids didn't yell at me. Like that's a win. But, but what happened? Like when you had the kid, you had these great lofty goals for them. You just wore down by it. Lamech is different. 
If you know chapter five, here's what it is. Nine broken generations. There's this theme. This guy had this son and he died. This guy had this son and he died. This guy had this son and he died. Nine generations of brokenness. And then Lamech comes on and says, my son's gonna change this. This curse, my son's gonna be a game changer. He's gonna do something. He's gonna change this. He prophesies into the life of his son. I love that. He's not gonna be an average. He's gonna be an awesome kid. He's not gonna be a good kid. He's gonna be a gospel-saturated kid who's gonna be part of the solution to this problem. What are you prophesying into your kids, dad's mom? What are you speaking into them? Maybe you and your wife or your husband need to get together for some time today and really ask, like, what are we trying to accomplish in our home right now? Because I call kids, they're, they're 80 grit sandpaper, right? They just wear you down. They just, they, they just man, it, hey, why can't I do this? Why can't I stay out till 12? Why can't I stay out till one? Why can't I stay out till two, right? It never is enough. They just, they're just constantly on grinding you down. You know why? Because they don't have a job. They have all the time in the world just to, you're like worried about jobs and pays and they're just like, you're like, fine, go. I don't care anymore. <laughs> so every once in a while, you guys kind of back at me like, oh, hold on. Why are we letting you do that? You're nine years old. You can't stay out till one. I'm sorry. Give me a break. <laughs> I don't care if all your kids do. I don't care if the ni less, nine generations do that. You're not doing that. Like it's a good thing every once in a while to sit down and really evaluate what are we doing. We have to be built back up by each other. Community groups are great for this. You're gonna be built back up. Like here, here's what amazes me now. Um, I have a 16 year old and a 14 year old and they go to high school group and they'll go and they'll listen to a message by Justin and he's 24 years old and Justin will be like, say something. And they'll come home like, dad, you would not believe what Justin said today. I'm like, I've been saying that for 16 years. Are you kidding me? Why do you listen to him? He's 24. He's a moron. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm totally kidding. He's not a moron. He's a good kid. I mean, it's, come on. I mean, really? But we need that. We need that like re-emphasis and coming from other directions of the same information. So community groups and people, we got to be built back up. Dad, mom, how are you launching your kids? Lamech launched Noah. My prayer is we're launching this next generation. We're really thoughtful about what we're prophesying. And I'm not living the status quo. I don't care what those other nine generations did. For me and my house, we're gonna live differently. We're gonna live this way, right? Okay, that's great, Matt. But come on, I didn't have a launch. Man, I didn't even make it off the pad. In fact, I'm still living in my parents' pad. <laughs> what about me? Okay, point two, and this is for every single one of us. I don't care background, I don't care anything. And to me, this is the most important point. Look down to chapter six, verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. If you know chapter six, it's the culmination of such wickedness that God says, this thing is not salvageable. 
Men accumulating massive harems of women, demonically kind of inspired, violent. You kill one, we'll kill 70. Just real, real brokenness. And in the midst of this incredibly broken culture, out of it, Noah finds favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Now, what does it mean to find favor in the eyes of Yahweh? I think God's favor has been defined by a part of the Christian body that maybe gets it a little wrong. So now when you hear God's favor, God's favor means like you get out of jail for free, right? It means when the hailstorm comes through your neighborhood, it does not hit a blade of grass on your yard, but demolishes your pagan neighbor's car. So he comes over like, what is your secret? God's favor. It means when you drive down 6th Street at five o'clock, the cars part like the Red Sea and you only hit green lights. It's God's favor. I was joking with the kids in Mexico because I took a high school group down there and I trenched for three days. I just dug, we d I dug 600, well, not me by myself, with them, 650 feet. But the kids would kind of come and go, come and go. And if you've ever dug down in this area of Mexico, it's rock. So it's like, you're just constantly hitting rocks. So the kids are like, tell me that, like, oh man, I'm hitting this big old rock. And I kept telling them, I've been up here for three days. I have not yet hit a rock. And I've got good calluses right now. And, and so one was like, why is that? God's favor. <laughs> so if your kid's all screwed up, well, no, actually it was Elijah that I did it to. My own son, I'll mess him up. There's this idea though, that like God's favor means that. Is that God's favor? I don't think so. Look at the Bible. So if you look at individuals with God's favor, very often it's a different picture. I'll give you one example. She's not just favored. The Bible says she is highly favored. It's Luke chapter two. It's Jesus's mother, Mary. Angel comes and says, you are highly favored. What does that mean now to Mary, the mother of Jesus, to be highly favored? Well, number one, she gives birth to God, which sounds highly painful. Number two, she then has to go tell her fiance, Joseph, what's going on. Think about that just for one minute. That conversation, how would that go? Hmm. Hey, Joseph, crazy night last night. <laughs> oh boy, where to begin? <laughs> well, might as well just jump right in. I'm pregnant with Messiah. Boy, it's so good to get off my chest. How are you doing, by the way? How was your night? That's an awkward conversation. God's favor. Hmm. You know what else it would mean? She would be called a whore. Their family would be shunned. And they would say dirt poor because no one would hire Joseph as a carpenter. Most Bible people believe he would have to work in this town that was just a little ways. It was a Gentile town. He'd have to travel there to get any kind of jobs. In fact, we know they were dirt poor because when they go dedicate Jesus in the temple, the Bible had three dedications for the uh, firstborn. If you're the 1%, you brought a bull because you're rich. If you're middle class, you brought a lamb. But if you were dirt poor, you brought a bird for a buck 50. Guess which one they brought? 
the bird. See, God's favor sometimes, sometimes means you'll be unfavored by this world because your allegiance is not to Caesar, but to Christ. And your pursuit is not cash, but a kingdom. And this world frowns on that. That's God's favor. Noah was favored by Yahweh. If you look at the next hundred years of his life, he was laughed at and jeered. Sometimes that's God's favor. This world won't understand it. It's happened to me, kind of. If you know my story, if you don't, I'll tell you a little section of it. My uncle George, great man, not a believer in Jesus, very into education. He has a master's in librarian studies. He has built libraries for universities. My aunt Linda, his wife, PhD in mathematics. She's taught at all kinds of universities. They finally moved on to retire up to uh, Washington. So she retired at Eastern Washington University as a math professor. Brilliant people. Loves education. So when I went to school, got an engineering degree, started working as an engineer, he made sure and tell me, Matt, I'm so proud of you. Great job. Wonderful. Love that degree. Awesome. Cool. A couple years later, when I quit my job as an engineer and decided to go to the School of Ministry at Applegate Christian Fellowship, my Uncle George made a special trip down from Eastern Washington to have a talk with me. So he sat me down and goes, okay, yeah, explain this to me. Um, tell me about the school. How many people are in it? I said, well, about 25 students. That's it? Yeah, 25 students. That's tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah it kind of is. Um, tell me about the campus. It's not really a campus. It's a house. It's an old lady frame house. What do you do in this house? We live in the house. You're going to live with 24 other guys in a house? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Oh, wow. Well, where's it located? Um, Rouge, Oregon. What? <laughs> Don't worry about it. You'll never find it. Okay, but it's accredited, right? No, it's not accredited. No, that's not what it is. Oh, okay, but the professors that are there teaching you, they've got PhDs, right? No, but I think most of them do have their GEDs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. Oh, 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 okay. But the curriculum you're going to use, it's a seminary curriculum, right? No, it's just the Bible. It's just the Bible? Yeah, it's just the Bible. Oh. Okay, when you're done, you're going to get like a master's degree or something. No, no master's degree. Oh, they're going to get you a job. They're going to like place you in ministry then. No, they won't, they won't place me in ministry. Uh-uh. The cabins that you're building, you're going to pay for that, right? No, no, I don't get paid for the cabins. So hold on a second. You just quit your job as an engineer, great future, great everything, to go live in a house with 24 other guys, to be taught how to read the Bible by men who only have high school educations. And at the end of this, you're gonna get nothing. Yeah, now that you put it that way, it does feel kind of stupid, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> right? Because sometimes the favor of God will look unfavorable to this world. Moses, for 100 years, building an ark, looked unfavorable. But I'm gonna tell you something. And I'm gonna use a quote by Jim Elliott. If you don't know him, he's a brilliant young man, graduated from Wheaton, decided, I wanna be a missionary in South America to the Waka Indians. Goes down there, gives his life to it, literally a short life, 
and he is killed by those Indians. And in his journal, there's a page and it's underlined. No one knows if he underlined it or someone who found his journal right after that underlined it. But it's this phrase he's well known for and it's this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to get what he cannot lose. See, there's bigger things to live for. And I'm convinced of this. Our hearts desire one thing, God's favor. We were built for it, for God's favor. Each of us, we deep in our heart, we wanna hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You shall rule over 10 cities. Each of us wants to hear that. Jesus, God the Son, gets baptized and it says the heavens open and it says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. What the human heart really wants is God's favor. That's all we really want. And so the world offers us all these other kind of things that almost seem like favor, but they're not. The world's favor, it's like salt water. The more you drink salt water, what does it make you? thirstier. You just need more of it. I need more money. I need more power. I need more of this. I need more followers on the internet. I need more likes on my picture. That's the world's favor. It's never enough because our hearts desire one thing. It's God's favor. That's what we really want. Well, Matt, how do we get God's favor? You can't get it. You cannot earn what can only be given. But here's what I know, and we'll hit on that last little phrase in a moment. Here's what I know. Whenever you see somebody in the Bible that's favored, there's always this other part. Notice he's favored by the Lord, and then all of a sudden something happens to him. There's a response, and this is my final point. You have Noah blasts into history, changes it. He's launched, he's got this fuel, and then notice lastly, his trajectory. It's the next verse, verse 9. Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. Verse nine, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Order is huge there. God's favor, then Noah walks with him. I think what God wants from you and me is to walk with us. In Genesis three, when Adam and Eve have sinned, it says they heard God walking in the cool of the garden. That God was coming down saying, hey, let's walk together. Enoch in chapter five, the only one that does not die there, the only one that escapes the curse, it says Enoch walked with God and he was not. That's what God wants. Hey, walk with me. So the New Testament has these similar things in it. Look at Romans five, Romans eight, excuse me, and Galatians five. There it says, that those that walk after the spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And Galatians 5, 16 has a word for walk that I think is brilliant. It's the Greek word, the original language of the New Testament, peripateo. It's translated walk, but it's much more than that. It's literally the bend of someone's life, their trajectory, what they're like, what defines them. That's your peripateo. They walked with God. So it'd be like this. Do you know certain people that if you think of them right now in your mind, you think, ah, oh, that's what they're like. Do you know people that are all into diets? 
Like whenever there's a new diet, hey, paleo diet, I'm on this diet, I'm on that diet. You know people like that? So 10 years ago, they were doing the Atkins diet, just eating tons of bacon. Then right after that diet, they took on the one where men were taking that, that female hormone. Remember that HCG? Do you remember that? That was hilarious. I had these guys come up to me like, bro, I have lost 60 pounds. It's amazing. I've also bought 10 pairs of shoes. I don't get that, but man, it's really cool. Like, well, package deal, bro. And you would say that person's pear potato is like health diet. There's these guys, I call them mangelists. Man evangelist, evan, mangelists. I'll just leave it at that. And they'll say this, they'll want to meet with me like, Matt, you know what the world needs? You know what the church needs? Men to be more manly. If men would just more, act more manly, this thing's solved. All our problems are good. And typically their definition of a man is like a guy that goes out and kills animals. Hunt, fish, run them over with your truck. Does not matter. Kill animals. Like their definition came from Braveheart. Lots of screaming, lots of fighting and fires. And so I always tell them, listen, bro, I've got seven kids at home. There's lots of screaming and fighting and fires already. I don't need any more of that, okay? But, and I just say that, that dude, his parapetio is this mangelist thing. What's Noah's? Noah walked with God. What's his parapetio? What defines his walk? Notice some verses here. Chapter six, verse 20. 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. Chapter seven, verse five. And Noah did all that Yahweh had commanded him. Chapter seven, verse nine. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. 7 verse 16. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and Yahweh shut him in. What's Noah's parapetale? Radical obedience. He was absurdly obedient. He built an ocean liner in Kansas when there was no rain. The economy was humming. People were playing and laughing and marrying. And Noah has this absurd obedience to God. It did not make sense. Wednesday night, I told the crew, I said, I guarantee his three boys came home and were like, dad, everyone at school thinks we're weird. Why do we have to have this giant thing in our yard? I mean, come on, it's an eyesore. I think his wife was like, oh man, Noah. Why can't you build something normal, like a man cave or something? Why does it have to be that, right? He's got this radical obedience that's unbelievable. And over and over, it's said, he obeys. Now their tune would change when the rain started dropping. Then they'd want to obey, but it's too late. I think too often we're like the crowds around the ark that as long as life seems good, we're good. When the flood comes, that's when we repent. The sad part of that is, for them, it was too late. And I think sometimes with us, it's too late for us as well. The tide's already come in. Things have changed. He has this radical obedience. Parents, are you worried about the flood 
of wickedness in our world right now? We're on a, uh, a ride that I don't think history has ever seen. The change in culture in America, how quick it's happening and how now there's gonna be these divides in people, I think like never before, because of how fast it's turning. Are you worried about that? Does that tide, does it trouble you? If so, what's your peripateo? What do you value? What are you putting your energy into? What are you building then? I think if I could go back to Noah and his three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and say, hey boys, what's your dad's peripateo? You know what I think they'd tell me? He obeys God and he builds an ark. We see it all the time. He obeys God and he builds an ark. That's what he is about. What if you ask your own kids that? Hey son, hey daughter, what do you think my parapeteo is? Because it's easy to come here for an hour. It's easy for me to come here for a couple hours and be like, praise God, hallelujah, everything's good. And then go home and be a very different person. And your family knows that. Your kids know. My kids know what I really am. What if you ask your kids, your parapeteo, what do you think they would say? What does dad build? What does mom build? What are they all about? If you're young, you don't have kids. What, what if you had your five closest friends, you asked them, hey, what, what do you think my life is about? What am I building? What do I live for? What do you think they would say to you? What are we as a church, what are we building? What is our parapeteo? What's your family's parapeteo? What, what are we all about? Are we about trying to be normal? Because Genesis 5 is normal, and it comes to Lamech who said no more. Do we really want what's normal today for our kids? Half of them to smoke pot, be idiots with technology, nothing wrong with that. Chase a mirage like we have until you get so old, you realize that there's no, there's no palm tree at the end. I mean, what, what are we trying to accomplish? Because the truth is this, there is a flood coming. Jesus said it. I'll read it for you. It's Matthew 24. Verse 26, 36, excuse me. He actually quotes about Noah. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I think every generation faces a flood. I think we're seeing a flood. I drive down 6th Street and I see people walking on the streets that are, they look like zombies. I think there's a flood coming. I shop, there's a flood coming. I look at what's being propelled out through the internet, through entertainment, I think there's a flood coming. I think most of us see it. The question is, what are we gonna build? Are we gonna build arcs of salvation like Noah built? Or do we continue to build sandcastles that the tide of time will wash away? What's our parapeteo? 
Noah had this radical obedience. And I said on Wednesday, you know what it cost him? It cost him 100 years of his life. I think he had to finance this ark himself. I don't know if God was like funding him from heaven, like, I don't know. I think it actually cost him financially to build the ark. It cost him, but it paid for the greatest protection ever. He had an ark that saved his family. Yeah, radical obedience will cost you, but man, it pays the greatest premium ever. Protection, God's protection, salvation in in this case. It's brilliant. And I guarantee people mocked and laughed at him. Whenever you decide to live different than the world, when you say, my allegiance is to Christ and to his kingdom, and I'm gonna live this way, there's always gonna be people that, like my uncle George, great man, love him, who are gonna say, don't be unreasonable. Don't be unreasonable. Unreasonable people rarely change history. Noah's stubbornly, for a hundred years, unreasonable, and he saved his family and the human project. He did it. I love that. It's costly. What are we building? What's our parapeteo? What do we value? Is it lasting or is it sandcastles? I heard about a crew that run a couple coffee stands down in California. You'd recognize the brand. And they have decided as a couple, we want to get to the point where we give away 90%. And this isn't a pipe dream for them. They're already moving in that direction. They're at between 30 and 40% right now. They're giving away because they're saying, we're going to live differently. We're going to downsize. Downsize costs you, right? Your kids may not have a playroom. And I've seen what happens to children who grow up without a playroom. It's horrific. No offense if you have a playroom. That is not a problem. That is not my point. It's what truly are we trying to build? What are we trying to accomplish? As I thought about this, I'll tell you I'm super proud of Edgewater because we're doing, I think, some things that are building arcs of salvation. So last year at this time, we started Safe Families. Been a bumpy road, no doubt. If you've been involved in it, you know that. But when you begin something that really goes against the kingdom of darkness, like Safe Families can do, could do in its potential, don't expect to be smooth, right? But I'll tell you, three weeks ago, one of the most encouraging things happened. I'm up at the office studying and a DHS agent came up. She works with foster care. I know her actually, worked with her on some cases with kids. She came up, brought with her a pregnant mom and two kids. And she said, we were tapped out. Can you guys help us? And she's been, DHS, has been skeptical of safe families. But now she's being to say, maybe you guys can help us. I love that. And we did. Family right here said, oh yeah, we'll take them. And they've even said, hey, if things continue to go bad, we're a resource for you to this lady and her two kids, this pregnant mom, single mom, two kids. I love that. That's building something. Foster care, right? I do foster care on kids seven and eight. And people say, Matt, I just don't, I can't agree with foster care. I said, I'm not doing it because I agree with foster care. I'm not doing it for the state of Oregon. I'm not doing it for those reasons. I'm doing it for terrain and arrow. That's why I'm doing it. All the rest is just, just get me through it. I don't care. I don't care. Right there. That's what I care about. 
That's what I care about. I want to build something for them because we know the family now. We're involved with their family. And it's, genera- it's generations of brokenness. And unless something happens to these two, guess what? Same thing. Unless there's, any, unless there's change in their life, unless something is built into them, there's, there's not going to be a change. So Terrain, he goes to school right here. And this last month, he was made student of the month at Fruitdale Elementary School. Yeah, it's really cool. But I'm skeptical by nature. So I'm like, okay. And I, and I asked a good friend who's a teacher at Parkside, I said, okay, l- tell me about this program. Is he being singled out because he's foster care and we feel sorry for him and all this kind of stuff? And he said, oh, no way. There's a voting process and there's, there, there's no way. It's really important that the right person is put in that spot. I was just like, I was so blessed. And he, he gets home and he's got the certificate and it's like the little binder. And he keeps just like pulling it out and like, look at it, smile, put it back in there, close it, pull it back out, look at it, smile, like put it back in, like look around, pull it back out, like look at it. It's the cutest thing in the world. That's what he needs. And I'm so blessed because Tuesday, I'm trying to get together with this guy. And he's like, I'm in foster care classes right now. Because I know that's how, that's one of the ways that we can begin to see change in Grant's path. We're gonna start building something. Ah, man, I'm so blessed. And, and, and the two that we have right now, we were supposed to have them for two weeks. We were told that in August. Been a little bit longer than two weeks. Great time. Love these two guys. Uh, but they had a course for them and then it's falling apart. So there's no, there's no future home for them. So it's really weighed, especially on my wife, Charity, on me as well. Like what's gonna happen to these two kids that you just, you just they're in your home, man. Your heart just, God's put that. Your heart just grows attached to them. Well, Tuesday, I sit down with a guy. He goes to church here. He and his wife do. And he said, we help out in the nursery or in the kids' room. And we've had your two guys in our class. And God has really put it on our heart to pray about adopting them. And I was just, you don't know what that did to me. It just, it so blessed me. Even if it doesn't work out with them, just the fact that they're responding to God's spirit and saying, they're worth it. We will pray and wrestle with this thing to see if God might open up our heart to say, these two, these two deserve an ark to be built for them so they can be, this generational link can be broken. If you don't know this, back in our spring break, we sent people to four different countries. So I took a group of high schoolers down to Mexico. Carrie Alderson took a group to Puerto Rico, uh, we had a group, or the Logues went over to Uganda with the folk stats, and Olivia Henderson went to India to rescue sex trafficked girls out of sex trafficking. That's crazy, huh? From this little community right here, touching. I love that. That's building. That's building. What are we going to build? What are you going to build? What's your family going to build? I pray that like Noah, we start walking with God in such a way that our peripateo starts building things that change us, our families, and this community. And here's what I love about Noah. I'll end with this. What was Noah? What do we know about Noah? Very little. He's a boat builder, that's all I know. Right? You don't really know anything else. At the end of his story, we found that he, he farms a little bit. Noah's blue collar. He's not Billy Graham. He's not the Pope. 
He's not Mother Teresa. He's blue collar. I can swing a hammer and I can build a boat and he builds a boat and he saves humanity. How cool is that? See, something has been, I think, broken in the way church is done now, where it's like, if you don't do what I do, then you're really not very good at saving humanity. The first guy that's used by God greatly is a blue collar boat builder. So here's what we're gonna start doing at Edgewater. It's gonna become part of our DNA. We're gonna grab the Noahs of Edgewater and actually bring them up on stage and introduce you to them, pray for them, and send them out as missionaries into Grant's Pass. So this is Joe. He's a plumber. Praise God he wears a belt. We appreciate that. <laughs> right? He is out there doing kingdom work, volunteering to unclog single mother's toilets, and we so appreciate him. And the elders and the leadership are gonna gather around him and we're gonna pray for him and send him out as a missionary into Grant's Pass. Because that's how Grant's Pass has changed. This is halftime and it's super important because we get reminded it's that reinforcing and it's super important, but out there the game is played. That's where change happens. That's where arcs are built. It's out there. So we're gonna start doing that just part of our DNA. This person, this person, probably start it when we go outside because I think that's so important for you to know what you're doing is really important. It really matters. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for his kingdom. Do it for eternal things. Value people in it as the Imago Day. okay? And so every Sunday, we conclude our services by partaking in the Lord's Supper. And here's what that means. It means this, you are highly favored. How do you get God's favor? You can't earn it. He can only give it. And when you believe in Jesus, here's what happens. Jesus was highly favored. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When you believe in Jesus, that is imputed to you. And God says to you, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Do you know how important that is in the life of a builder, of a Noah, of a history changer? So on the way down to Mexico, I had an audio book that I was listening to. And it's called Boys in the Boat. Anyone listen to that? Anyone read that book? Oh my goodness, brilliant, brilliant book. Uh, heartbreaking though, because the main dude, his name is Joe. Just his family is so broken. His mom dies, his stepmother, really, you know, Cinderella stepmother, um, hard, hard mom. So his dad actually abandons him a number of times at nine years old. Right, he'd be a foster care kid. So as I'm listening to this, man, my heart is breaking. I'm actually crying. And it's awkward driving high schoolers when you're like, what's wrong with you, dude? Why are you crying? It's the wind from the, from the AC or something. That's why I'm crying, right? Because he's just like, oh my goodness, there's so much pain. And there was this phrase that summed it up. It said this, because Joe went, I gotta get a college education. I gotta be on this row team. It's the, the story is the University of Washington row team in 1936, that goes to Berlin and wins the Olympics. It's just unbelievable, unbelievable story. But it says Joe, because of this brokenness, trying to get a degree, trying to be on the road team, trying to win Olympics, trying to do all this stuff, that Joe was constantly seeking how to make himself whole again. And I thought, that's it. There's so many people that their life is really built around, how, how do I make myself whole again? 
the family I grew up in, the dad that wasn't there for me, the mom that abandoned me, the sin that has crushed me. How, how do I get whole again? Because I feel like a fraction. We come to the table and the table tells you, you've been made whole again. You've been made whole again. That the old has passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, whole. And it's that wholeness that empowers us to be Noah's, to be history changers. Because no longer are we, are we living off a bankrupt account, we're living off a gospel account. And it fuels and empowers us. You are favored. If you believe in Jesus, you have God's favor. Now, how are you gonna respond? That's the question. So Jesus, may we be, may we be history changers. Maybe it's our own history that's so broken. Maybe it's our family history that's been shattered. Maybe it's Grant's past history or Josephine County or even bigger than that, Lord. May we be history changers. May we learn from Noah. May as we eat and drink this afternoon, may we eat and drink wholeness. May the lies of the enemy that want to rip us off and deceive us into believing that we're sub-Christian. May this morning, this afternoon's Lord's Supper be the antidote to those lies and deceit. And may we know it's by your stripes that we have been made whole, that we have been healed. So may this day we drink wholeness. And may we go from here asking good questions of friends, of family, of spouses, of kids. What are we building? And may we build ultimately into your kingdom arcs of salvation for Grant's past. I pray this in your name. Amen.